calling all collectors. Now is your chance to grab some iconic horror costumes and props in the Prop Store auction at propstore.com slash live auction. The auction is taking place from November 3rd to November 6th, and you can place your bids online, by phone, or in person. This is an opportunity that any horror fan or collector really can't pass up, and collectors of all budgets and franchises will have their chance to purchase a piece of horror history at this live auction. Some of the stuff that I've been looking at that, uh, honestly, I might bid on myself, I have no idea, maybe I'm just a fine art collector now, and by fine art I mean the stop-motion Ash Williams from Evil Dead 2. Maybe I get a good guy factory doll from Child's Play 2. If I'm being real honest, I might get David's wig, earring, coat, and trousers from the Lost Boys. I mean, heck, there's pieces of Christine in this auction. You can get the license plate from the RV in Cabin in the Woods, as well as the puzzle box from that movie, the sort of, like, Hellraiser riff puzzle box. Of course, you want the OG Hellraiser. They've got Doug Bradley's pinhead life cast from the original film, and even Penguin's umbrella gun from Batman Returns. This is the kind of opportunity that does not come along very often. And if you want to own a piece of horror history right now, head over to propstore.com slash live auction. There's also a link in the show notes, so just go ahead and click on that right now and get a get a nice early Christmas present for yourself. You've earned it. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, horror for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And we're taking a spooky little detour down the Nightmare Alley side street talking about something in the dirt from filmmakers Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And they're joining us today to chat about their really weird fucking movie. Yeah, uh, so weird that, you know, we were supposed to talk about the movie. We totally talked about the movie. And we really kind of just wound up talking about aliens and weird metaphysical shit, uh, which I think is totally fitting for this movie because one... It's full of crazy stuff, it's full of twists and surprises, and I think is best enjoyed if you go in knowing very little about it. And also, it's kind of about everything. It's about unifying theories, it's about ghosts, it's about aliens, it's about alternate dimensions, and it mostly takes place in one apartment. Yeah, I think we should start this by saying, if you've seen any of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's prior films, this will be no surprise to you. That's true. Their previous films, The Endless, Resolution, Synchronic, all kind of really delve into supernatural things that are just outside of our grasp and maybe the the world isn't what it seems to be. And uh, Something in the Dirt is no different. It follows two guys who are, surprise, surprise, played by the filmmakers themselves who have a supernatural experience occur in their apartment building. And they're going to try to capitalize that by getting the footage themselves. And it goes... Some places. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like the super indie version of Nope. You know, something happens that they can't explain and they want to get footage of it. And it just gets weirder and weirder from there. If you are a fan, I feel like I've mentioned this before, talking about Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's movies. Uh, but if you are a fan of the book House of Leaves from Mark Danielowski, 
this is probably as close as you're going to get to a film adaptation of that movie. Something impossible happens, and you know the, f- the further you try and explain it and solve that problem, the weirder and weirder things get. It's a really cool movie because it's also incredibly indie. It's made, you know, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead have kind of always worn a lot of hats in their indie productions. I mean, they just made Moon Knight for Marvel, so like they're also making big movies too. But this was a movie that was made during COVID. It's not about COVID. Don't let that deter you from watching this movie because nobody wants to watch another COVID horror movie. I would watch another COVID horror movie. Okay, well, at least in this one, no one's wearing masks. No one's talking about the virus. <laughs> but it's made with only a crew of 12 people over the course of a year. They shot it in Justin Benson's apartment, which is actually where they were when we sat down to talk with them over Zoom, which was kind of cool. It was very uh, four-dimensional. <laughs> but long story short, if you like really weird, oddball, out there shit, this is totally going to be a conversation for you. And like John said, we do just talk about aliens and weird shit a lot. So if you haven't yet seen the film, you are totally safe to listen to this because we are not going to spoil something in the dirt. The movie's playing in select theaters November 4th. I think it's hitting VOD later in the month. We're going to go over to our conversation with Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead in just a second. But right now, here's the trailer for Something in the Dirt. We're going to try to prove the supernatural. We're going to need some kind of visuals. People won't believe it. Start over. Something happened. But what do we think went wrong? believe part of it was real this city was designed according to this tablet maybe these gateways to other dimensions are actually all around us you can couch it in scientific terms it doesn't really matter i don't think anything is worth what happened you don't think that has anything to do with what we're doing downstairs quite in dangerous uncharted territory yet. I'm gonna try to eat it. I might have this all wrong. Justin, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're really excited to talk to you about something in the dirt. Uh, hello. Love to be here. Thank you for having us. Do you maybe want to just introduce uh, yourselves for anybody listening so they can separate uh, each of your voices? Well, we'll do it, but it'll still... It'll, <laughs> it'll, 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 we sound so similar, but this is Justin speaking. And this is Aaron speaking. 
And I can't tell you how many things that Justin has said that have been attributed to me and vice versa. Oh, that must be great. (laughs) Reading written interviews and you're like, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, uh, this is, this is very clearly like a pandemic project. Our video is completely fucking up. Let's pretend that's not (laughs) happening. Uh, (laughs) Was it, was this a story you guys always had or something that sort of uh, was born out of uh, isolation? It's a little bit of both. Uh, we realized that we actually started working on this movie over a decade ago. And to explain that further, it's just that from the time we made our first movie resolution, or at least from the time that movie went out into the world, we started getting really, really casual uh, approaches from producers of like haunted house, haunted house franchises and, and, um, and things of that nature to be like, hey, you know, would you would you like to come and pitch on this this whatever franchise it was at the time? Um, be yourselves. We, we want something different. We want something left of center. Uh, come up with a pitch, and we we would spend sometimes a couple of weeks coming up with these elaborate pitches, like what we would do with said haunted house franchise or found footage franchise, whatever it was. And we go in and we pitch it, and expect very very expectedly, deservedly so. They would be like, well, that's way weirder than we were expecting. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, but after over a decade of doing that, we realized that we had developed enough ideas that we were still really in love with, that, that, that had grown out of those situations. And, and a lot of those ideas are in something in the dirt. And, and that said, it is also a movie constructed for a, a particular production method, given the circumstances we, are, we were in at the time, which surprisingly... I think a lot of people, it would be, you'd write, you'd write to say like a lot of it is the same location. A lot of it could be described as a chamber piece or contained, but really the movie was, was also constructed so that we weren't repeating ourselves because we had kind of done that with our first movie resolution. And it was also that, Hey, we might have more access to the city of Los Angeles in these strange circumstances than we other than, than before we had never shot in Los Angeles. Uh, we loved the city. We wanted it to be a character. And there were so many ways that, we were able to, to when we come out of this location, which actually we're in right now, um, when we come out of this apartment, out of this room that, that the movie uh, punches above its weight. And also, we just like giving movies scope and we like getting out into neat environments that feel to them that were, especially if an environment feels personal to us, a viewpoint in Los Angeles or whatever it is, and you can just feature it a way that you've always wanted to. That's always fun. It's always fun shooting in graveyards, mm. uh, things like that. Um, I, I can't think of anything that sounds less appealing to me than watching a pandemic movie. Just like, <laughs> just, it just it, like even the word, you know, it's, it's just like, this is, this is going to be something I don't want to watch. And so we designed it to be something that no matter what, it's a, it's a movie we would have made otherwise. It's more just an indie movie than it is a pandemic movie, but it's designed using pandemic protocols uh, so that we could kind of back our way into it. That's cool. It's interesting that you mentioned um, LA being, uh, really integral to the film because you guys make such like ethereal and otherworldly content and it's it's so perfect to set something in LA because LA really feels like a superstitious kind of oddly magical place yeah it's a very special city <laughs> a lot of people make fun of for some reason and it's uh not for some reason it's it's sometimes <laughs> what was there but from the outside people have a very particular view of what the city is and often it's from people who haven't spent much time here um, or maybe have never been here. And sure, those things that people talk about, they do exist. 
but um, but there's a lot reverberating underneath the surface. Uh, we've been living here for a very long time. Um, what we invented for something in the dirt reverberating under the surface is invented whole cloth, but we felt like it could be real. And, uh, and that was really, that was fun for us to kind of invent this alternate history of what it felt like to live in Los Angeles. But you, it's, it's a good point to hit on because in Los Angeles, in telling the story about the weirdness of it, you have to tap into the feeling because, because like, give an example, like, you know, if you're making a story about an occult history of, um, of London, you could argue you have millennia to draw from. Mm. That dirt, that dirt, not just the city of London, but that geographical location, you could potentially take it back to Roman times, mm -hmm. Druid um, times, the yeah. Druid times further. Um, if, you're, if you're telling it in, in New York or New Orleans, you've got several centuries to draw from. Los Angeles, you've got much, much, you've got less than that, <laughs> like even less than that. But really, it's a feeling in the history of this young city when you look around at the buildings. It's not the same as looking around in Rome or London, or even New York and in any cities. But when you look around what we geographically think of as what was Hollywood, it's uh, there's a lot of really interesting cracked art deco rusty buildings. Mm -hmm. Not that old, but it still feels haunted. It does feel like a haunted city. There's this, and, and, but also, again, you're capturing the feeling you have as an individual being in this environment, in this city, and trying to express that with images that, again, you don't have images that look centuries or millennia old. You have Los Angeles, but it's an interesting task to capture that feeling when it doesn't really, it kind of doesn't exist visually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's such a weird you're so right because it's so weird because it's like there's so much energy in LA if you could say yeah. that like there's so many like big dreams there and and souls who think that they have bigger purpose and there's got to be something there's got to be something there with like just how much how much is happening like the weird buzz that's happening in LA <laughs> just so much ego and tragedy in one little spot in a short period of time <laughs> it's like there's a uh, there's a joke that that a lot of people um you know, like like over in Europe, think that that American ghost stories make no sense because they're like <laughs> someone died in this building. Um, you know, someone died tragically. They're living in London. They're like, yeah, someone's died in every square foot of the city. Like, what? Like, where are the ghosts? So we, wow, what a, what a miracle! <laughs> um, I love I, I love the idea that it uh, it has a that you're tapping into what it feels like because I think I respond to that in movies a lot where I know something isn't real, like the repeating pattern that shows up in your movie, uh, but it feels real. And like, I, I could buy into it if I wanted. And I think what's, what's so great about that is that it makes for a good movie. And it's also crazy dangerous for the characters in your movie. Cause it, it makes, it drives them huh. mad and makes them obsessed with something that is that they probably already know is not true. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's uh, that the, you bring up, specifically these patterns that you see around the city, what they're seeing are these, um, this triangle shape that is repeated, repeating itself. And the thing is, is it could be just a design element because triangles are triangles and they, they end up in designs all the time, but also there could be some kind of a hidden message. Um, and it's part of a lot of uh, messianic complexes to think that you've like stumbled upon a secret message that it built only for you. And that, uh, um, that is also frankly a warning sign of schizophrenia. Um, but, uh, but also, you know, 
codes do exist. <laughs> they do, like, people like every like codes are everywhere, and uh, and maybe you do actually stumble upon secrets. Secrets do exist, and so where do you draw that line? And uh, and I think that that our characters kind of chasing down these little rabbit hole breadcrumbs is uh, it, it appeals to all of us in weird tiny little oh, yeah. ways. Um, and and I I would hope that people watching and aren't just judging the characters and thinking like, <laughs> like, like, yeah, I wouldn't do this. They're insane. It's like, no, it, it kind of makes sense. And then, you know, we'll see where it goes. I think that's why making it um, during the pandemic really lends well into um, the audience, like absorbing the story in a way they otherwise wouldn't have. Because you mentioned schizophrenia. That's something that we talked about literally while we were watching the film is that oh, yeah. this is almost like a soft feeling that you can relate to of Go, am I going crazy from the pandemic, just being isolated? And you're just like, I, I could go down this rabbit hole if something interesting passed by my way just because I was so bored. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. Because <laughs> I was yeah. so bored, I can go insane. <laughs> I, I can just yeah, believe in something insane. Yeah. We all got so bored, we, were reading, we, we, also, we all read a bunch of really bad sources. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, everyone was just starved of information and just believing absolute nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's also like, uh, like, I'm sure somebody out there is, is already planning on doing a double bill of this movie with Under the Silver Lake. It's it's mm-hmm. it's actually also interesting that they're both set in L.A., but it's it's like you're watching characters who are displaying schizophrenic behavior that might not clinically be dis- uh, diagnosed as schizophrenic. Um, and 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 you two earlier talking about liking scope in your movies. Do you think the obsession of your characters really helped define the scope of something in the dirt? Oh, interesting. Very good question. Um, the question makes me think of how much of the movie was determined by a document where we were mapping out who John and Levi are. And us kind of coming up, which was such a mix of desires of what we both wanted to perform as, as individuals, and who we thought that these characters should be from the original inception of the story and trying to stay honest to all of that. And now that I think about all of that and you say, it's like, oh, are they, does, does their obsessiveness guide so much of the story? I mean, yeah, obviously, I think, I think especially in um, Aaron's character, John's case, especially that, the, you know, and, and our, also within that was our desire to tell a story about the darkness of obsession and uh, trying to tell a story of fates worse than death, um, and that being a stake within the story. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, the scope of it, I think the the backdrop being the city of Los Angeles as a whole. Um, you know, ultimately, like what John sees in when he's when he's scooting around is is uh, you know two thirty second montages, mm-hmm. but. Um, but the uh, being able to like set it in Griffith Park, which has kind of right that has this mystique around it, um, or was it Griffith Park? Running, running, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all, all of these have this mystique. We we'd also just be wandering around our our own area. Remember, find you found you went on a run and found those like Roman columns yeah. path. Yeah, it was just there, it was just a weird broken old fake Roman path. What the hell is that about? <laughs> <laughs> So we put it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You know, if there ever was like a secret society with like hidden passwords and, and symbols and stuff, it would be in L.A. <laughs> yeah, well, it would. It, there's a lot of places that could be, actually. I, I, I posit lost London might do it. <laughs> but so we spent, um, oh, sorry, go we ahead. spent like a, a decade trying to get several movies and TV shows about uh the turn of the century occultist Aleister Crowley trying to get them off the ground. And that obviously involves a lot of what one might call secret societies, groups like the, like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, groups like that. And, and interestingly, the religion that he, not the religion, the, the spirituality that he ultimately formed, actually I could call it a religion too. The, the spirituality that he, he ultimately formed once he evolved past the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and, and a couple other organizations was a, uh, an organization called the Lima that's still around today. And Jack Parsons, who is referenced in something in the dirt was, was part of the Lima. And I can't remember if Jack Parsons, I know that he was communicating with Crowley, but I can't remember if he was like trying to open a Thelema lodge. He was part of one here, but was he mm-hmm. trying to open his own? Cause I know him and his wife were definitely part of one yeah. that existed here already. Yeah. But did, was he also trying to, it sounds like he probably was, because that's why he thought he was talking to Crowley for the most yeah. part. But I, of course, the Agape Lodge yeah. was. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to, but also we're trying to piece together this, you know, again, back to Los Angeles being such a young city with not the roots to, for example, things like Western Hermeticism are certainly not as deep here as they are as somewhere in like London mm-hmm. um, yeah. or even New York or even New York um, even the East Coast yeah, yeah. yeah. I, doesn't Eyes Wide Shut take place in New York I think so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it takes also, place in New York only sh- but it takes place in New York all shot in London though 
Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we were trying to, we knew that we were going to probably get into like deep, weird stuff initially. And then we were like, you know, it might be a nice, like, uh, you know, reset question to be like, which one of you guys is obsessed with weird math? But I'm going to guess both of you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely both of us. And, and, but, but for the record is it's all Wikipedia. It's popular. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to. There are, there are these wonderful stories of people that's like, yeah, they were a mechanical engineer for 10 years and then they made their first film and it was an amazing <laughs> film based on mechanical engineering. We're not that. We, we just really like to deep, deep dive what we can understand without having to learn an entirely new discipline. <laughs> um, so Wikipedia and really cool articles and, and books, of course. We read, we read books nonstop. Um, but like Stephen Hawking writes for the layman. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that we read Stephen Hawking doesn't make us a physicist. <laughs> so, just enough to make it feel real. Yeah. yeah. So you guys definitely have like a deep fascination for like everything weird and um, and out there. Do you have beliefs in that realm? Are you superstitious? Do either of you have like a ghost story that maybe inspired the plot of the film? No, I mean, well, it's kind of the opposite, probably in both our cases. Uh, in my case, I'm like literally like I'm raised atheist. And I've never truly believed in anything supernatural or otherworldly. I have stories I could tell of things where it's a personal experience rather than an objective one. I can't say what exactly what happened, but I could, I've definitely had experiences in my life that I could be like, maybe, maybe that was something, what someone might call supernatural or spiritual or otherworldly or something um, generally immaterial that's hard to explain that, that can't be necessarily explained in, in scientific terms. It's weird. I'm open to it. I've had experiences. But again, I'm a person who's raised atheist and literally believes in nothing outside my material existence. So, (laughs) But correct me if I'm wrong, because I I don't don't think, I feel like describing yourself as a materialist isn't correct, right? Mm. Like, you you don't, you, you, sorry, you're right. You know, no, belief correct. But you would say it's probably pretty academically irresponsible to say there is nothing outside of our material existence oh absolutely yeah yeah i'm not i'm 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 uh and i'm, I, I'm, I agree with you I'm on that yeah i'm reading more way more books by oscar crowley than i am Dawkins. you know what i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it seems equally foolhardy to yeah. both of us to have a full-blown belief in a mythology that is completely uh devoid of of empirical evidence uh, as it is to say that, yep, we've learned everything. I think that those things are both completely crazy. I'd, I'd say that we're the same way. We, we would probably go with like healthy skeptics. Like that's why we watch horror movies or, you know, like go on haunted walks or go to allegedly haunted places because like, you know, go on, prove me wrong. Show me what you got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, I think how great would it be to yeah. proven? Like, oh, like, yeah. That, that would, I, I would genuinely, I would empty my bank account for that said, that's for somebody that could actually prove to me consistently and repeatedly that, 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 that a, 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 the existence of an immaterial claim. Uh, what, what you just said is kind of what Robert Bigelow does. Is that yeah, what you yeah, 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 got involved with the, with the UFO? I mean, it's, it's sort of skeptic, like, yeah. It's like a million dollars or something, right? Or no, that was well, James no, Reedy, Re- Re- maybe? I can't remember. He, he bought, you know, he bought Skinwalker Ranch at one point to, mm-hmm. because because it was supposed to be a hotbed of, of otherworldly phenomenon just to study it and research it. And um, I think what you just expressed is like this deep feeling we all feel of like it's a, it's a spiritual quest. And it's mm-hmm. a, you want so badly to have a confirmation 
that your loved ones are mm-hmm. that your loved ones that have passed on are somewhere and that and that your fear of the human fear of dying that you're going to go somewhere after i think that's so much at the core of wanting to believe in a ghost mm-hmm. right yeah it's um, wishful moment. yeah but again i'm also not saying that it's not real i'm just saying that one must acknowledge there is a wish fulfillment to it, right? Mm-hmm. But also as a, um, as a skeptic, if even if you experience something like that, I feel like our natural response would be like, oh, that's just something in our actual plane or of existence that we just don't have the capacity to uh, like understand. Like if it's, if it's oh, mild sure. electricity. Once it, science, <laughs> what, yeah. once, once it becomes science, it just has to be repeatable, uh, that, you know, repeatable and, and consistent and, um, you know, that, that it doesn't, it would just, it would just enter the world of, from metaphysics into physics. Um, but I, I'm so jealous of people that have had a, a, a reality shaking experience. I would love that very, very much. I've had a few as you, as you have mm-hmm. as well, yeah. just like some, oh, strange. And it's kind of personal and maybe there's an explanation, but it's like crazier than just believing in something supernatural, you know, it's happened, but I think you know, if a UFO landed right in front of me and an alien beam <laughs> thoughts into my brain, uh, I would, I mean, I'd probably get checked out at a hospital first. <laughs> like, right. I don't know. It would just, it would break my entire reality in, in such an exciting way. You know what's crazy about that is I feel the exact same way, and then constantly I'm I'm outside at night like, trying to see if though? I can spot one. Like, <laughs> come on, just ruin me. Just, just show me. Praying for it. Praying for it. Yeah. <laughs> Pray to the um, aliens. There, there is some. Uh, Aaron and I spend spend a lot of time going down rabbit holes on lots of things, and obviously one of them in our line of work, you really must do to do a good job at, at work is uh, UFOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and, Absolutely and, uh, essential. <laughs> there are certain accounts of, uh, of of sightings or interactions with with uh, UFOs, UAPs, whatever we call them now, and. Uh, it's this weird thing where it's like, on the one hand, you can simultaneously you can simultaneously say two things. You can say, I'm personally not going to believe in this because there's no actual physical material proof this happened. And simultaneously, one can believe that to the point of disrespect to tell all of these people this thing didn't happen to them. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the school, the aerial aerial school, yeah. aerial school, the Zimbabwe incident. And also the, the um, a lot of the, uh, like the Nimitz incident um, the incidents where it's like, oh, you've got half a dozen pilots, radar techs, and they all say this thing. Who am I to say they didn't experience that? Mm-hmm. But but it's weird. Two things can simultaneously be true. Yeah. You be like, I'm not going to totally jump on board with something that no one actually, all it is is a bunch of personal anecdotal evidence. And at the same time, um, full respect and empathy and mm-hmm. and and. I'm never going to say it didn't happen to people. But that's the you know reason. Like, like, because it didn't happen to us personally, it doesn't break my reality. Right. And I don't think they're lying either. What is that? What, why, <laughs> why is it? It's like, I believe them. Mm-hmm. And yet I, I, my reality stays the same. And I, and I don't spend like hours and hours and hours just like ruined by it, which I would, if it happened to me personally, um, you know, you know, what's a good example of the difference is like, okay, let's say you believe, okay, you're like, I got UFOs figured out. The thing that really connects with me is, is that it's, um, if I meditate in a particular way and I go to the spot in the desert, I will witness these UFOs and we will commune and it'll be this beautiful experience. Fine. Believe in it, whatever. I think that where it crosses over into something else is you're like, 
Um, the guy who leads that, I'm going to give him all of my income. Um, that would have been my, I'm, I'm like, I would have should have been taking care of my children, all these things. I'm going to give it all up and I'm going to go do this. I think it's when things become, act, you take action that has huge consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, it crosses yeah, over yeah, yeah. into something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that like is, the MLM of the su- supernatural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the MLM. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> MLM of supernatural. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the other thing that's so it's it's actually in the movie in something in the dirt, but it but in a really small microcosmic way. But it's everything that is interesting and cutting edge has 99% BS surrounding it. How equipped can you possibly be to know what's the what's the real and what's the BS? And uh, and and are you one of those people that's delusional that believes that you know the truth? How self-aware can you be about just being, you're actually, you're the asshole. You're the, you're <laughs> the one that actually thinks that you know the secret truth and everyone else is being fooled. Does it sound like someone you know? It sounds like everyone else that you're judging, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's it's this weird thing when you start looking at your own education and your own influences and you're like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm well educated. I'm not de- deceivable. It's like, no, we all are. We all are. Every single one of us believes things that are not true. And uh, I don't know what they are, uh, but we do. So, so uh, hopefully, you know, if you watch something in the dirt, you can see something of yourself in these characters rather than thinking, wow, look at these two crazies that are, that are nothing like me. I, com- I completely agree. And I think you guys do a great job of threading the needle between those two because it, uh, we've, been, we've been talking around how weird the movie is and some of the strangest stuff it does. But I, th- I think you do a great job of keeping things uh, vague or at least possible on both sides of those. Like it's a Schrodinger's cat scenario where uh, you, you do sort of present both realities where it could be maybe possibly all fake and it totally absolutely did happen to them. So kudos to you for that because it's kind of an impossible task. Um, but I gave you zero prep on this question, and unfortunately, I'm just going to have to lay it right on you. Uh, we like to close hey. out, we like to close out interviews by asking, uh, you know, if you could play any two movies at a drive-in, what would you play? What's your dream double feature? And it can be related to something in the dirt, or it could just be two random movies that you just love and want to see outside on a big screen. Cool. Okay. Oh God, that's a. I know this is why I'm supposed to give you a heads up at the beginning, but we just <laughs> no, it's okay. What, okay, let's let's hold on, let's pull us apart a little bit. What qualities does a movie have to play well at a drive-in? Because it comedy is probably not great because you can't really get that wave of audience laughter because mm-hmm. you're all in mostly in your cars unless you're one of those people that sits in the back of the truck. I'm gonna say horror is not great unless you're intending to pull a 1950s and like make out with your date instead of watching it, yeah. only because um. The darkness doesn't work that well in light polluted cities. Um, Good point. That said, uh, a lot of drive-ins nowadays are out in the out in the boonies. But in you know in L.A., you don't know on a dark movie. It's not good. <laughs> we've seen, we've experienced this. Yeah, we, we saw um, one in L.A. in a parking lot, and it was yeah, it was not great. <laughs> it was not great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you know what could be for a lot of it. What could be a fun drive-in movie and just the experience of feeling unsettled. Uh, there's no country for old men. Oh, there's yeah. some dark scenes in it that, like, notably the the finding of the money. Fine, but other than that, a lot of it takes place in broad daylight, and um, and it, again, it doesn't really require like you can just watch it without an audience response, mm-hmm. and 
and, and feel a lot. Mm. Feel, and again, just the fun of being like so unsettled for so long. Mm-hmm. And you're by yourself in your car. No country sounds good. Yeah. Would we double feature it then? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put out a first draft uh, with a big Lebowski. <laughs> Okay. Um, in, in, we're following, yeah. following the Coen Brothers trail, of course, but yeah. but is it because it's you know it's got like the the seedy underbelly of Los Angeles sort of thing, which is a very something a dirt sort of thing. But I know that's not what you're asking, and it's so offbeat, anyways. Yeah, that like there's but not many audiences, but, it, but it's kind of it's kind of a down here, yeah. um, but it's a down here, haha, not an up here, haha. Yeah. So you can. Um, I will say. Dad. Both will play good on a summer night. Like if you open your windows and it's like really sticky out, I could see both of those movies having a 4D effect with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's great. That's great. Yeah, awesome. Um, great picks. Actually, oh, you know what? Hang on. I'm sorry. I'm going to revise just a second. No Country for Old Men and Sicario would be a cool double feature. Um, yeah, 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 I like that. yeah, yeah. It's less interesting pairing, but I, I think. Uh, I just realized, like, ooh, I, I feel that. Those are in the same school. Yeah, the, the Josh Brolin double feature. I think it, I think it works really well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we've, we've seen something in the dirt a few times now, and it's, it's I fucking love this movie. It's Every so time crazy. I feel like I get more out of it. Oh, yeah. So, but I will, oh, say, <laughs> I will say, if one of the next movies you guys do ends up being, like, a straightforward drama, I will personally know that you have experienced something supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. <laughs> Big thanks again to Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead for joining us on the show today to talk about aliens and uh, and other dimensions and shit. You know, I could honestly have talked for two hours about this stuff. It, yeah. it, it gets me so excited. I, I did a terrible job asking questions about the movie. Well, I mean, I we, just... <laughs> we showed up with a bunch of questions about the movie and, there, and we just threw it out the window once we started getting into it. I rabbit holed into UFO stuff and there was no going back. <laughs> Something in the Dirt is playing in select theaters beginning November 4th. Keep an eye out for this one. It is a wild ride. Like, I think... I've said this about every single movie they've ever made, but it is definitely the weirdest movie they've ever made. (laughs) I don't know how they're going to top it. And uh, honestly, I don't know how they continually top it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Nightmare on Film Street. We'll be back at you again next Thursday with another full-length episode. Until then, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. creepy. And leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Calling all collectors, Prop Store is auctioning over 1,500 pieces of film, television, and music memorabilia between November 3rd and November 6th at PropStore.com slash live auction. Collectors of all budgets and franchises will have their chance to purchase a piece of horror history with some of the least expensive items including a Camp Crystal Lake counselor t-shirt from Freddy vs. Jason, Bev's screen-matched postcard from It Chapter 2, 
and a collection of rare behind-the-scenes photos from the set of the horror classic The Shining. Uh, all of that is ranging between four and 600 pounds, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's an incredible amount of horror memorabilia, including a bunch of stuff that I've got my own eyes on, and you can bid on them right now, online, in person, or by phone. Uh, find more information and check out all of these amazing props and pieces at propstore.com slash live auction. 